wonderful singing tonight. I'm, I'm opposed to the principle in general of sheep stealing, Brother Jones, but listening to the singing tonight, I, I was sorely tempted, I have to say. <laughs> Y'all could just come over, you know, all the time and help us. I, I appreciate that very much. Listen, I really have uh, enjoyed last week. I'm thrilled to see everybody here uh, this evening as well. I think this is just a, a great thing. And I'm, I'm hoping this is not just something we do and then forget about it. I'm, I'm hoping this is planting the seeds for ongoing cooperation. I, I think some wonderful things can happen. And, and I'm hoping that some of those plans may come to fruition in the coming months. Because uh, this is this is exciting to me. This this is this is something good to have happen. Do you believe in monsters? I believe in monsters. I, I one of my favorite news stories. Actually, I ran across this like about eight years ago, nine years ago. Now, this happened in and this is a real news story. It's covered by several different news agencies. Uh, Annalise and Mackenzie Spray. Annalise is the mother. Mackenzie's just the three-year-old little daughter at the time this story took place. And um, they live in the suburbs of L.A., up next to the mountains. And uh, one morning, they have three chihuahuas. And one morning, the chihuahuas are just going crazy to get out the front door. And Mackenzie, the three-year-old, uh, got up to let him out the front door, and thankfully, Annalise Spray was there because Mackenzie was going to follow them out to see what they were so excited about, and at the last minute, Annalise was able to stop her daughter from walking out the front door because there was a 100-pound mountain lion. Do you believe in monsters? If you're a three-year-old girl, or worse, if you're the mother of a three-year-old girl, a 100-pound mountain lion is a monster. Now, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up to Ephesians. Brother Jones and I both are going to be working in the book of Ephesians tonight, and I want you to, to be there with us and share a little. And Ephesians has several interesting features. One of them is an interest in monsters. In the book of Ephesians, over and over again, Paul talks about the powers, the authorities, the rulers in the heavenly places. And those are not pretend monsters. Those are real monsters. If you've got your book of Ephesians open, you can look over in chapter 6. That's, that's one of the places where he gets the most explicit about this. Chapter 6, verse 12, right when he's setting up that whole armor of God passage. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, though Satan always wants to trick us into thinking we're supposed to be fighting each other. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In Ephesians, the heavenly realms are just the unseen world. There's good things up there. God's up there. Jesus is there. You're up there in your spiritual life. But also evil things are there too. Things that aren't uh, in tune with the will of God. 
spiritual forces, authorities, rulers, powers. They are real monsters. These are things that make the world out of sync with the will of God. And Paul says, don't be fooled. Again and again and again and again, this world tricks us into thinking we're fighting with flesh and blood, that that we should be fighting with each other. The real monsters are these spiritual forces. That's where the real problem is. Now that emphasis of Ephesians on these spiritual forces, these authorities and powers and rulers, leads to what I consider the weirdest verse in all of Paul's writings. And I'm sorry to start with kind of a puzzle, but this one is just, uh, this one fascinates me. Every time I read it, it just, it just fascinates me. So if you've got Ephesians open, turn over to chapter 3 and look at verse 10. This is the weirdest verse in Paul, I think. And he has some weird ones. This is a puzzling, strange verse. The book of Ephesians is interested in these monstrous forces, these powers and rulers and authorities. And then in chapter 3, where Paul's talking about his ministry, he's talking about the fact that he's the apostle to the Gentiles. He's called to carry this gospel to the Gentiles, which nobody would have expected. Reading the Old Testament, you wouldn't wouldn't think that's what was going to happen. But all of a sudden, Paul is out there and he's converting Gentiles and bringing Gentiles in. And then he says this in chapter 3, verse 10, and I'm going to go ahead and read 11 too. His intent, that's God's intent, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay. If that doesn't strike you as a weird verse, I don't think you're reading it. I need you go back and look at it again and see how strange that is. Because what that's saying is the church by existing, I guess, by the fact that we're here is teaching something to the, to the monstrous forces in the heavenly places, the invisible forces of evil, of rebellion against God, of chaos and disorder in this world. That somehow they're looking at what's happening right here tonight, for instance, and that's teaching them something about the manifold wisdom of God. What? What? What does that mean? What does it that you and I being together teaches to these rebellious, monstrous forces? Well, Paul lays some groundwork to help us figure that out. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about tonight. And then I'm going to turn it over to Brother Jones. I think to figure this out, look back in chapter 1. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. The part of this we read, uh, this is part of what we had read for our scripture reading tonight. Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verses 9 and 10 of Ephesians chapter 1. He made known to us the mystery of his will. That's God made known to us the mystery of his will, God's will, according to his good pleasure, God's good pleasure, which he, God, purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment 
to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. That's the way my translation says it. In other words, God has this enormous plan. And if you read all of that section, it goes all the way back before the creation. God has this plan. There are monstrous forces. There are forces that lead things in a chaotic direction. There are there are forces that don't submit to the will of God. Satan's doing that. But so's death, so's disease, so's war, so's violence. There are all these forces operating that do not submit to the will of God. And God has a plan under Jesus Christ to bring everything back together into harmony and unity. That's, I think that's exactly what Paul's claiming. See, and this is important, church, because sometimes we have a view of Jesus Christ that's too small. Now, when we preach that Jesus Christ can save you from your sins, that's pretty big. And it's really important that we help people understand Jesus Christ can save you from your sins. But that's only part of what he has, what God has planned for Jesus Christ to do. We got a universe that's in rebellion, partial rebellion against the creator God. And, and, the, and the picture that's painted here in Ephesians and also in other passages is that Jesus Christ is God's champion to come and win back the rebellious world to God the Father. To bring everything back into harmony. To bring everything back into unity. You look at the world today, there is a lot of disharmony. There is a lot of disunity. There's a lot of fighting one against the other. There's a lot of that. And there are a lot of powers and authorities in this dark world and in the heavenly realms that kind of uh, get their power from disunity and disharmony. And God has a plan to bring everything back under the headship of Jesus Christ. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 claims. And actually, he hits that again. If you read all the way down through the end of the chapter, he hits that again right at the end of chapter 1, that all of this is going to be brought together back into unity under the headship of Christ. He says much the same thing over in Colossians. I don't know if, uh, if you want to, but you can at least uh, keep this in mind and look at it later. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness, fullness to dwell in Christ, that, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus Christ is the principle of reunification of the entire universe. Saving you from your sins, creating the church where saved people can encourage and strengthen each other. That's part of the plan. But the big plan includes Everything being brought back into unity. So that one thing, one day, just like Isaiah chapter 45 says, and just like Philippians chapter 2 repeats, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Right? Right? That's what's going to happen. And Jesus Christ is the one who's going to make that happen. So that's part of the puzzle that's set for us back in chapter 3. What does the church have to do with that? Well, because Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 says 
that the manifold wisdom of God is being displayed by what's going on in the church. That's right. How is that happening? I think to help us answer that part of the question, we've got to go to chapter two. Mm -hmm. Chapter two of Ephesians. If you've got your Bibles, turn over to chapter two of Ephesians. And there's this long passage here where Paul paints a very dark picture of what it was like for the Gentiles before Jesus came. Yes. The Gentiles have no part in the covenant of the Old Testament. They don't mm-hmm. have any part. Amen. They are aliens. That's they right. are separate. That's they, right. are, they have no place in the covenant whatsoever. They have no connection to God. That's right. And he says, but in Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. those who have been far away have been brought yeah, near. Brought nigh, that's right. And then, starting in verse 14, look what he says. For he himself is our peace, yeah. who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, right. by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Yes. That is an incredibly powerful passage. Mm -hmm. And it's the answer to the question, I think at least it's partly the answer to the question of chapter 3. What is it about the church... Mm -hmm that teaches the wisdom of God to the monstrous forces in the heavenly places that are in rebellion against God. And you know what it is? Mm -hmm. It's the fact that against all expectations in the first century, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. was bringing two groups together that nobody thought could be brought together. In the first century, it was Jews and Gentiles, right? Yes. And, and there was hatred between yes. these two groups. I don't want you to be under any illusions at yes. all. There yes. is horrific things said That's by right. both sides against each other. The Romans and the others of the first century said horrifying things about the Jews. Yes. It was anti-Semitism. You could not, it sounds like it's coming yes. straight out of Nazi Germany. I mean, well, just really terrible things. One time, the Emperor Claudius just said, all the Jews, just get out of town. I don't want right. you. Just said, get out. Yeah. Everybody. If you're Jewish, you got to leave Rome. Mm-hmm. And the Jews responded with that hatred by hating back. I mean, a yeah. lot of times, not yeah. all of them, but some did. Just if, if you're hating me, then I hate you. Yeah. There was a lot of hate. The last thing, I'm pretty sure the last thing anybody would expect, looking at the state of the world in the first century. Yeah would be that there could be a combined Jewish-Gentile movement. Yes. Yes. And that's what's amazing Paul. Mm-hmm. He's, in, in chapter 3, he says, I get to go and, I get to go and preach the gospel. I that's preach right. it to Jews and I preach it to Gentiles. Yes. And, and people respond to this gospel. And an amazing thing happens. Chapter 2 of Ephesians happens. Yes, yes. What would that be? In the first century, what would that be like? To have people who who represent cultures that are at war with each other. Sometimes their leaders say awful things about each Mm -hmm. other. And for the Christian churches in city after city to set up little fellowships Mm -hmm. where a Jew actually passes the bread, passes the cup to a Gentile and accepts it again from a Gentile. Mm -hmm. Where a Jew listens to a Gentile read the scriptures Mm -hmm. 
And a Gentile listens to a Jew sing praises to God. Yes. And they actually manage to have unity. That's right. In God's church. Yes. Paul says this is a mystery that's happening. This is mysterious. Nobody could have predicted this. No human intelligence could have seen this coming. This is a mystery that's happened. Jesus Christ, by his incredible sacrifice, has just blown up the wall of separation between these two cultures and has created one new... Yes. Some old translations say one new man out of the two, but actually that's a little tricky. Greek has a word for man, like a male, and it has a word for human being. Yes. And what, what Paul uses here is human being. It's, God has created a new kind of human being. Yes. In Jesus Christ. Yes. That's what's happened. Jesus' sacrifice has created a new kind of human being. And, and Paul's pretty consistent about that. He, over and over again, in, in book after book, he fights against the idea of saying, well, let's because there were groups that said, maybe we should have like over here a Jewish church and yeah. over here we should have a Gentile yes. church. And there were also groups that said, well, maybe we should have kind of the, the church for rich people and it'll yeah. do its thing and the church for poor people yeah. over here and it'll do its thing. You know, but maybe we should have, uh, you know, churches that, that recognize and sort of reinstitute all of those mm-hmm. same divisions that the world is playing. Maybe that's the way we should do church. And Paul fights against that over and over and over again. Yes. He says that's a contradiction of who Jesus Christ that's right. is. That's right. Jesus Christ has taken away those dividing walls of that's hostility right. and has made the two one. And then he says something really remarkable. Look down in uh, chapter 2 again, down in verse 18. He says, for through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Yes. Consequently, you, and he's talking to the Gentiles, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple of the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Yes. You want to know what the church is? You want to know why the powers and authorities that are in rebellion against God, when they look at the church, they tremble. Yes. Because the church again and again and again finds a way to overcome and to be God's temple on earth. Right. What does that mean for us today? Mm -hmm. What does that mean for us? Here we are often with a practically divided fellowship. Yes, yes. Racially divided, of course, but also divided by class differences, divided by education, you know, all of these things that the world thinks are so important have been reintroduced back into the church again and again and again. Yes. That happens, and there are some reasons why that's happened uh, that we can't ignore and can't mm-hmm. pretend didn't that's happen. Right. We can't pretend that that's right. we don't bear guilt for that. Yes. But here's, what, here's the message of hope. Mm-hmm. 
every time Christians do what we're doing right now. Yes, yes. And in spite of all the forces pushing us apart, yes. we come together in the name of Jesus Christ. That's right. The powers and authorities tremble because the wisdom of God is made manifest to them. That's right. That's the truth. That is the truth. Every time we worship together, in spite of the world trying to push us apart, the powers and authorities tremble. Every time we manage to serve our communities and cooperate together, Uh we may not do it perfectly. Nothing we do is all that perfect. That's right. But every time we manage to do it, the world doesn't understand it. The, the dark powers of this world don't understand it. And the powers in the spiritual world don't understand mm-hmm. it either. It no. is strange to them. It calls their whole power structure into question. And they realize that one day mm-hmm. they too will have to bow the knee yes. to Jesus yes. Christ. That's it right. matters, church, yes. that we find ways to bridge the gaps yes. that have been created. It yes. matters. I told you that story about Mackenzie and Annalise Spray. There's a little bit more to that. They, as I said, they had three chihuahuas. Mm-hmm. Uh, total weight of the dogs, apparently, according to the news reports I read, was nine pounds. I mean, I think the heaviest yeah. one is a little over three pounds. The lightest one was a little over two pounds. I mean, these are, these are not big dogs. No, no. Well, here's the amazing part of the story. They cornered the mountain lion in the garage of this. I mean, three little dogs, just, I guess, weaving in and out, yipping and yapping. If you've seen a chihuahua, you know how that's possible. The mountain lion didn't know what to do. And it was just, it was hissing and it was angry and it was, but it didn't know how to deal with these three animals. Uh, Annalise Spray called the police and called animal control. And eventually the police, this is my favorite part of the story. When the police pulled up, two of the chihuahuas believed that the police were a new threat. Mm-hmm. So t- seriously, one chihuahua stayed to handle the mountain lion, yeah. and two peeled off yeah. to go and confront the police, right? Yeah. I love that. <laughs> chihuahuas aren't smart. No. But they knew it was their job to protect that house. Yes. What are you going to do mm-hmm. to protect the house? Yes. Paul just told you, you are God's house. Yes, that's right. Every time Christians get together in unity, you are God's temple. Right. You are God. What are you going to do to protect God's house? Yes. I can guarantee you. It's sad, but it's true. I can guarantee you that next week there are going to be people who criticize just the fact that we did this that's tonight. That's all right. That's all right. And as we plan service projects yes, together, there are going to be people who say, you shouldn't be doing that. Why would That's you? That's all right. There are going to be people who attack any moves we make to yeah. heal any yeah. rifts, to heal any wo- That's just going to happen. What are you going to do to protect That's God's right. house? That's right. What are you going to do to help to do what Jesus Christ began when he died on the cross? Yes. To take the two, to tear down the wall of hostility, to make one. Yeah. Brother Jones, welcome to the pulpit. Good job, brother. <laughs> I just want to say to Jim, as my church said, it is what it is. <laughs> it ain't going to change. The Bible says in Acts 17, 26, God made of all nations 
one blood to dwell on the face of the earth. Brother Green, come down here. I want y'all to see something. Uh, bro- brother, brother Mukes, uh, uh, let me see. Uh, my brother right here with the K on your shirt. Come, come on up here. I'm going to show you how God made of all nations. Yes, sir, you got the K. God made of all nations. Uh, my brother right there, uh, let your wife go. Right here, right here, right here. Come on. This may be the only time you can get away. My sister here, come on up, come on up. Come on up. That's my daughter. Okay, well, all right. It is what it is. My brother right here, I want you to come up something. I want to show you something. With all of this diversity that we have in the body of Christ, there's some things that we're not going to change. There's some things in our culture we're not going to change. He talked about protecting the church. The church is the body of Christ. I like the way Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 16. He said, even even though we knew Christ in the flesh, we don't know him like that anymore. So our thing is not to fight blood against blood, flesh against flesh, but remember the spiritual powers that we're fighting against. He's not fighting against Charles. Charles not fighting against him. Mukes is not fighting against her. Nobody is fighting against one another. But society have told us, since you are different, we have to protect our territory. Church, let me tell you something. The church, the body of Christ is our territory. So we need to understand there are some things in life that's not going to change. When God, uh, when Christ died for the church, it is what it is. And I I thought about that. Y'all can take your seats. I thought about that old cliche that people use. That cliche tells us that it ain't going to change. I was looking at a movie years ago, and I know y'all remember this movie. It's called Living Large. Anybody ever seen that movie? Well, let me tell you what the movie really, the basis of the plot of the movie was. As a young man that worked in a cleaner by the name of T.C. Jackson. Y'all remember that? And every day T.C. would look at the TV. He'd do just like a lot of us. He want to be somebody he's not. Y'all getting quiet on me. So T.C. decided after watching the news, he want to be a news reporter. He want to make more money. He want to be in the jet set. He want to be like those other people. Let me tell you something. When God created me, he created me for a purpose. He needed somebody like me on this earth. He needed somebody tall, dark, and handsome like me. So what I learned to do, Brother Mukes, is to accept who God made me and love every ounce, every pound, every breath. And until you start to love yourself, you can't understand Christ. Until we start learning to love one another and accepting the differences that we have. I don't have no fear going over here. Stand up, sis. I don't have no fear going over here hugging my sister. You know why? You can hug me back. (laughs) My goodness. Society have told us since we are different, we should stay in our lane. And that's not the way the gospel teaches. And I like the way since God created uh, 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 humanity and since God put the church in the order that he did, there were some things about us that God had to do. Look at Ephesians 4.11. God knew that every one of us are frail. He knew that all of us are spiritually immature. So what he did, he fixed it so not only was the church established, but he did some things to make the church what he thought it should be. I need a reader. Brother Woods, why don't you read for me? Ephesians 4, 11. So what God did when he set the church up, when Christ died for the church, he said, I'm going to give you some apostles. And not only am I going to give you some apostles, what else did he give them? And I'm going to give you some prophets. And I'm going to do what? And I'm going to give you some evangelists. 
What else? And it's going to be some path. We need somebody to oversee this thing. We need somebody to look out for the spiritual affairs of the church. That's what a pastor is. An overseer. God knew good and well that the church could not grow. It could not be drawn closer together. That the church cannot mature unless it's being nurtured. What else did it say? And he even gave some teachers for those of us that don't know. Everybody in the church is not a teacher. I've learned, brother, that until I become a good follower, I can't be a good leader. And God knew that a lot of us are not going to follow the leader. So he said, you know, if the church is going to grow, it has to have the proper things. It's God's manifold wisdom. And God have always done things on time and in order. What else did he do? He gave those things for a purpose. You know why God gave you an eye? So you can walk on them. You know why he gave you feet? So you can heal with them. God gave everything a purpose. It follows a plan. And it matures the church. See, God have never created something without assisting it and growing. Everything that God have created must grow. If it's living, it must grow. Your love for me, Jim, has to grow. And until we come together and associate with one another and get to know one another. I love the way John say that perfect love casts out fear. When you see me walking in the street, you don't have to fear me. I don't fear anything but God. I don't care, Brother Woods, if you had six set of feet on your two legs. It doesn't scare me. So God took the church and he knew that the church was going to have some issues. It had it in Acts, the sixth chapter. The church started out with problems. But you notice the members didn't run from the problem. God gave some things to take care of the problem. What else did he give the church? For the work of the ministry? He gave the church some things for the work of the ministry. And what else? For the building up, this is what we're doing. We're trying to build one another up. The world going to tear you down. All you have to do is turn the TV on. It's going to tear you down. All you have to do is walk out in the street. It's going to tear you down. All you have to do is show up on your job in the morning. It's going to tear you down. What else did he give? He said until we all come to the unity of the faith. All of us ain't there yet. All of us isn't quite there yet. Some of us still got some old hangups we need to let go. I'm going to tell y'all something about me, and I'm a little bit different. I'm, I'm a little bit different. Well. <laughs> it is what it is. I love country music. I dig me some Willie Nelson. I love Randy Travis. I don't eat watermelon, and I have never been able to dance. But I'm a child of God. It is what it is. Learn to accept me for who I am. I have to learn as a child of God to accept you for who you are. We have been operating on myths and beliefs because we don't know who one another is. In that story by T.C. Jackson that I told you, living large, he had gotten to a point to where he started to fall out of relationship with the people in his family because he was trying to be somebody that God did not make him to be. He was so much into wanting to be somebody else, his black skin was starting to turn white. He would look at the TV, his nose would get pointed. 
I used to say to myself, Jim, people say, well, you better do so-and-so. I said, I ain't got to do nothing but stay black and die. But Michael Jackson changed that. Amen. But what I'm trying to say in this story, this picture, this movie was saying, be who you are. Accept who you are, but love the people that you are connected to. God gave some things. He knew that the church had some faults. He knew that all of us in here are imperfect. How many of us have no issues in your life? If you don't have no drama, if you're perfect, we're going to give you five seconds to get up and walk out. (laughs) I didn't think so. It's not going to change. Look at verse 32 in that same chapter. And since life is not going to change, since God has put us together and we got to love one another to see heaven. There's some things we're going to have to do. There's some things we're going to have to accept. There's some things we're going to have to tolerate in the church. You know, we are people, you know, well, I, I don't have, you're going to you're gonna have to love me to get to heaven. I'm going to have to love you. And we can start by learning one another's culture. I used to be under this myth all the time when I was in the kid out in the world that all white people had money. I know some of y'all just as broke as I am in here today. (laughs) That myth was ruined a long time ago. What I'm saying that there are some things that have been etched in stone that's not going to change. We have to learn to accept one another and love one another for who we are because all of us bring something different to the table. Every one of us in here different. Everybody have a different DNA. Everybody have different fingerprints. Oh, y'all don't look as good as me. But read verse 32. What does scripture say? And we need to learn to be kind to one another. That's how the church grows. You see me in the street, Jim, if you don't acknowledge me, there's something wrong with you, brother. There's some of us in the lost church, you know, just because I have a tan, you won't acknowledge me. And I'm talking about something in my own ways. Brother, let me tell you something. If I see you in the street, you are my brother. I'm not ashamed to tell people this is my brother. We have the same blood in us. We're covered by the same blood. Society will tell us, well, we're not supposed to be together because there are some differences in us. You keep on believing society and you're going to find yourself lost. It is what it is. It's not going to change. Somebody said that that saying goes as far as saying you got to make the best of a bad situation. Jim, you stuck with me. It's nothing you can do. (laughs) So so the Bible said we need to be kind one to another. What else? Tender hearted. We got some folk in the church that's hard man. Woo! Hard as Chinese arithmetic in a Korean kindergarten. (laughs) We're hard. We need to learn to be tender hearted people. You know, Paul said in Romans, the 12th chapter and verse 15, he said, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. When folks are having problems, it ought to touch the church in such a way that we sit down with them and find out what can I do to make your life better? Because you know the thing about trouble, everybody going to have some. Trouble don't have, you know, trouble going, you know, James said, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptation. 
James 1 and 2, knowing that the trial of your faith, he never said trials are going to come. He didn't say when, but he said they're coming. They're coming. And, and as a body of Christ, as a family of God, we have to learn to love one another in spite of what the world have said. I know the world said a lot of stuff, but guess what? We won't be standing before the world on the day of judgment. We're going to be standing before Jesus. What else did Paul say? We need to learn to forgive one another. You know, sometimes we have bad encounters with certain people. Jim, have you ever had a bad encounter with somebody that looked like me? Come on, be honest now, Jim. God know your heart. Don't lie to me, Jim. See, what we do when we have a bad encounter with somebody that doesn't look quite like me, we hold it against the entire group. Say amen while you can. We need to learn to understand. I cannot condemn the world for one knucklehead. Amen. We have made some mistakes in the church that way because we have judged everybody by one or two people. What else did Paul say? For Christ's sake, have forgiven you. We have to forgive one another for the sake of Christ. Think about that person. Think about that time. And I'm not talking about outside your race. I'm talking about in your own, sometime in your own family. We need to learn to understand that. Look, read verse chapter 5 and verse 1. That's where I want to get us to. Be ye therefore followers of God. Paul said, follow God how? As a child, you know, let me tell you something. Children could fight all day long. Yeah. Come on, y'all. Some of us got kids. They'll fight, fight, fight. I used to get more whippings from my seven sisters. The first black guy I ever got was from my sister. And my mother, Doug, she used to let us fight and fight. And I'm always taking a whipping. But you know what? Can't nobody come in that circle and fight us. You know why? Because we were family. I'm not going to let nobody run my brother or sister down. I'm going to protect you. Now, if you don't mess around and give me something to work with, <laughs> what I'm saying to us, it is what it is. Life is not going to change, but we can change some things about this world. Jesus called us out of the world, Colossians 1.13. He sent us back into the world to be a light to the world. When I drive down the road, when I go back home, I'm not backing out of the driveway. It's all full steam ahead. That's why you have headlights, and that's why you got taillights. We need to stop being the taillights of society and be that light, that city that sit up on the hill. Stop letting the world dictate how we are going to fellowship and let's show them what God has told us to do in our fellowship. Stop taking society's opinion and start listening to God. The psalmist said, your word is already settled in heaven. Let me tell every one of us something here today. If the Lord came back here tonight, Would we be ready for heaven? If not, why not? Two things, two premises I live on. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. And I sure don't know when I'm going to die. Boy, if I knew when I was going to die, I would leave out of here, put that Bible down and cut up like cheetah. 
But since I don't know, I have to always be ready. It is what it is. Think about that on a very serious note. If the Lord came back tonight to state that your life is in right now, would he take you back to heaven with him? That's something to think about. And you see the thing about God, 2 Peter 3 and 10, he's coming back as a thief in the night. I have never had a thief to call me, email me, text me, Twitter me, and tell me I'm coming to rob you. <laughs> have you? But when the Lord come back, we're going to have some foolish ones that put off and put off and put off. Let me tell you something. Tomorrow will never get here in your life. Because it's always today. You never get to tomorrow. When you wake up in the morning, it's going to be today. Even on TV, they don't have the tomorrow show. It's called the Today Show. <laughs> what's the lesson and what's the blessing? The lesson is this. Let's stop talking love. And let's be about love. Amen. Let's stop. You know, and my thing is, the next time y'all come together at East Side, I don't want to see all these black folk in one corner, white folk in one corner. Y'all mix it up. Mix it up. Mix it up. We're not living under the limited commission anymore. Y'all know what that is? That's when the Jews and the Gentiles couldn't associate. I want you to get to know somebody. Well, where's my garage sale queen at? Where she's at? She's in, see, amen. Why, I'm glad you acknowledged me. She told me, she said, I'm waiting on you. I got got some stuff. Let me tell you something. That's how you develop relationship with people. When you see them and you continue to acknowledge them and and you get to know them, you know, and and I'm going to tell y'all something about me. And this is this true. This is real. This is real talk. I'm easy to love. I love, you know, I, I love myself. And until you start loving yourself, it's difficult to love other people. When Christ died for the church, the scriptures refer to it as the manifold wisdom of God. Paul referred to it in the scheme of redemption as the mystery. Okay, now the mystery time is over. We know what's been revealed. Like yesterday, I found out I'm having a granddaughter. No more, no more mystery. Now we got to get ready for the girl. Church, it's no longer a mystery. Now it's real. Let's start living like the children of God that he expects us to live. Jesus in John 16, 35, he said, greater love. Had, he, he, and again, he said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. Right. We all got to love one another. And like I say, you cannot make it to heaven without me. Try it. Try it. I cannot make it. Without you. That's why Paul say we have to learn to forbear one another. That person in the church that you can't get along with, try loving them. Somebody say if you love them to death, you don't have to bury them alive. It'll work. It'll work. It'll work. If you hear this afternoon, man, I'm, I'm sweating like, ooh. If you hear this afternoon, on, on a very serious note, look at your life. Look at your life. 
Paul says, or rather John said in 1 John 1 and 7, he said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. But I like the way John said in verse 8, now if you fool yourself, if you say you have no sins, well, everybody's quick to justify, oh no, I love everybody. You know you don't love everybody. You don't love everybody. You don't love everybody. If I took a census in here right now, there's somebody in here that don't care for somebody. But you say you have fellowship with God. You see, if we don't have fellowship, if it don't come on a horizontal level, we can't have it vertically. There's some people that'll say, I love the Lord. But Brother Sean, you got to love Sean. I don't care if he have mistreated you, talked about you, scandalized you. You got to love him in spite of if you're going to see Jesus in peace. How we doing, y'all? Hey, it is what it is. It's not going to change. John went on to say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But that next verse, 1 John 1 and 9, what did John say in that passage? What did John say? 1 John 1 and 9. Come on, Brother Woods, you're moving mighty slow. You're like Uncle Joe in Petticoat Junction. What did he say? Here's the, here's the killer. If we confess our sins. Hold up, John said, if you get that monkey off your back, God is faithful and just enough to forgive us. God said, if you're honest and you're sincere and you're true about what you say, when you say it, I'll forgive you. Proverbs 28, 18, 28, 13. I'm going to quote this. I'm going to go here and then I'm going to let you guys go. Okay. When I preach at East Side, they ask me, Brother Jones, how are you going to be? I said, I'm going to do you like mama. When she would whip you, she would never tell you when she's going to let you go. She'd let you go when she's finished. What, what did it say? Proverbs 28, 13. He that convert the sin. No, 28, 13. Proverbs 28, 13. Come on, let your wife help you out there now. Come on, let's go. He that covers his sins shall not prosper. There are some sins that we won't confess. There are some things that we do in the dark is coming to the light. There are some things that we harbor in our hearts towards people. God knows your thoughts. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12, 14, he's going to bring it to the judgment too. He's going to put all your business out there. He said, he that covers his sins shall not prosper. But he that do what? He that confess them. Not only do you confess them, you don't do them anymore. When you forsake something, that, that means you leave it. In a minute, as soon as you hit your, hit your car, you're going to forsake the building. You're going to leave here. Solomon says, confess those sins. Leave those sins. And do what? God's going to have mercy on you when, you when you get rid of some of the stuff. You know, that's why some of us don't love, because we got too much baggage. We got too much of the past. We got too many personal preferences. And God said, until we confess them and forsake them, we will not prosper. If you're here tonight as a child of God and you have some things in your life that's coming between you and God. Remember, John said we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Christ is going to cleanse us. If we harbor hate in our hearts, God is not going to bless you. You got to leave it alone. You got to get rid of it. 
irregardless to what someone have done to me, I have the responsibility to be able to ask God to give me the strength. See, my problem a lot of time is not Jim. It's me. I need fixing every once in a while. When I have confrontation with my enemy, I pray for my enemy, but I pray that the Lord fix me so I know how to deal with my enemy. See, a lot of times the problem is not the enemy. A lot of times, as Pogo said, I've met the enemy and the enemy is me myself. We are some of our worst enemies. So if you're here tonight and you realize that you have fallen short of God's glory, you have the opportunity right now today to confess your sins and to forsake them. So you can prosper. If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God, you've heard the word John 8 and 24. Jesus said, if you believe not that I'm here, you shall die in your sins. And where I am, you cannot come. What you're saying, preacher, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. So you've heard the word. Do you believe what you've heard? That's how your faith is established by what you've heard. And after you've heard the word and believed it, are you willing to confess him? Are you willing to repent of your sins? Luke 13 and 3. You know, the Gentiles, I mean, the Jews was all upset about the Gentiles mixing human blood with the blood of sacrifices. And Jesus said, don't worry about them, except you repent. You shall all likewise perish. You've heard the word. Do you believe it? Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to confess Christ? Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will also confess before my father. But whosoever therefore shall deny me before men, him will also deny before my father. Let me tell you something. It's going to take us some acknowledging and some confessing to be a part of the body of Christ. And after you have confessed him, you're going to have to put him on in baptism. Somebody say baptism is our sign of him with grace. I don't care what it is. If Jesus said we need to do it, we need to get it done. John 3, 3, uh, he told Nicodemus, he said, except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, if baptism wasn't necessary for your sins, why did God put it in there? Why did Nicodemus go to Jesus? First Peter 3 and 21, the like figure went to even baptism, thus also now saves us not to put in the way of the filth of the flesh, but an answer of a clear conscience. I want a clear conscience when I stand before God. Acts twenty two sixteen. baptism will wash away your sins. I don't care what your preacher, your rabbi, your reverend, or what they say. God said that baptism will wash away your sins. And we in the church need to understand when God washes, you washed. Second Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. I'm so glad that God don't deal with me according to my sins. If you're here today and you understand it is what it is. You need to come while together we stand and sing the song of encouragement. Brother Jim.